0: In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, The chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht good blether. And you could also join in our blethers on social media. You can find us as at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode.
1: We love making the podcasts and would love it if you could share them with your friends and leave a review on the platform of your choice.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Scottish Blethers. I'm Liz Lister.
1: And I'm Helen Houston.
0: And we've been blessed this last week with a beautiful week's weather. And uh, I know that you've been getting out and about. I've been out on my bike trying to get out every day. It's just been a joy to get out and about.
1: It's just beautiful. Just wall-to-wall blue sky and sunshine. And the sun has got quite a heat in it as well, which is very surprising for this time of year. But out of the sun, the air is still cool.
0: Yeah, the morning's still got frost. As I look out here, I'm up in the highlands this weekend, and a layer of frost outside and beautiful
1: blue skies. Even at this time, did you remember that the clocks spring forwards this morning, Helen? Oh, yes, I did. Well, I did and I didn't because I was lying in my bed last night and I thought, oh, I've set the alarm, but is my clock going to change? And then I got went up and got a watch. That I know doesn't change, so I thought, well, that'll be my control to see if my if my electronic clock changes automatically, and it did it did.
0: Yeah, thank goodness. Phones change automatically, but it's the time of year where the clock in my car is right for six months
1: of the oh, year. That's mine as well. Exactly <laughs> I've never worked right. out the menu. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I think I've got to get a, a sharp pin or something and stick it in and turn it. I'm so old fashioned. <laughs> well, it's definitely there are signs of
0: spring in the air and that got us round to thinking about what are the signs of spring in Scotland? And asking around and seeing what different people had for theirs, but very definitely,
1: there are signs of new life all round us. Yes, and and of course, I think one of the big signs, Liz, because of the sunshine, it's all the smiley faces that you see outside as well. Everybody's looking happy and kind of got a, literally got a spring in their step.
0: Yeah, summer's just round the corner. The days are getting longer. I mean, in Scotland, we have very dark days, short days in winter. So it's no wonder that people are smiling and beginning to think about holidays.
1: That's right. And
0: fingers crossed,
1: Liz, that will all happen this year.
0: Yeah, guiding about to start back up again. Yeah, real signs of new life. But I don't know about you, Helen. I mean, you know me. You know, I love my flowers, particularly my wildflowers. I mean, as I was out on my bike this week, going along the the hedgerows, just the... The flowers that are just absolutely blossoming everywhere because, of course, the flowers in the hedgerows have to come out and bloom before the trees above and the canopy get their foliage. You know, So there's a very short burst of activity with all these wildflowers and it really is a time when you know, we're really blessed with the colours as um, they come out because they've got to provide the nectar and the pollen for the bees and the other insects
1: um, coming out of winter hibernation. Yes, and while you were out looking at hedgerows, Liz, I was out walking around the village and looking at all the gardens. The gardens are really, really springing into life now. Beautiful colours everywhere of the, of the cultivated flowers in the garden as well.
0: Yeah, we're blessed. But people are beginning to think about cutting their grass. I was, spoke, I was speaking to a man yesterday who'd already cut his grass three times. I said, you're going to get caught out when the frosts and the snow come next week because
1: that's what forecast for next week. And I must say, Liz, I was very pleased. I mentioned cutting grass to you the other day, and and you said, "Oh, I'd leave it for a bit because the frost'll come; it'll all just burn." That was all you needed to say, Liz. I'm well. I'm more than happy to leave it for more than a bit. Now, the weather's completely crazy at the moment, but
0: as I say, it's forecast to drop 10 degrees next week. So we're back to frost and even snow forecast, which brings us, you know, what I love about the flowers as they come out in in springtime is that there's a different procession of colours. If you think about it, the first one to appear, the snowdrop white. You know, I'm a real galanthophile, I love my snowdrops.
1: And they've been beautiful this year. I went on, you know, we have various estates that open up for snowdrop walks. And I went to one over in the East Nook of Frise to, to Campbell House a few weeks ago. And it was just glorious walking round the estates, the, the old woodlands and covered and covered in snowdrops. And then, of course, in there you come right out onto the beach. And it was a gloriously sunny day as well. So it was just lovely. Yeah, there's quite a few places that open up round about where we live in Fife, and there's
0: one that opens Kirkland's. He opens up, what a garden he has. Beautiful. So we are are blessed with lots of snowdrop trails round about us. But the name Galanthus means milk flower. And the common Galanthus, Galanthus nivalis, translates as milk flower of the snow. So it's one of the earliest to come out, you know, late January, February. And it's very poignant for me because my dad died on the 17th of February. And I always remember that I went out into my garden and all the snowdrops were in bloom. So when they come
1: back again, it's a poignant moment. Oh, yes, that's that's lovely. And, you know, they're just they've been they've been really good this year. We had that wee spell in january february where they could really bloom yeah but talking about kirklands and peter's
0: heart's house another major advantage of where we live helen is that we have sal glen and if you've just got a short while to go for a walk then there's nowhere better than at this time of year
1: wow the flowers in that are fantastic and and the smells liz the smells down in the glen with the flowers coming out are just are just lovely. I've taken a few videos of of the glen in its various moods with the burn raging through after a flood or just the the flowers just peeking through when it's glorious sunshine. I love that place.
0: Yeah, and it's you know many of these wildflowers are a symbol of ancient woodland. So it shows how old the Glen is, because as you go into it, it's again dominated by white flowers, not just the snowdrops early in the year, but then you get the wood anemone. The Chinese refer to that as the flower of death because
1: it's got this pale, ghostly appearance. Yes, and, and the you know, the, the other one that comes out then is the wood sorrel as well, which is you know, just a, a lovely little flower with the three, three three-pointed leaf. Trifoliate. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) trifoliate. Too too difficult for me. I know the one it is. And of course, St. Patrick used that to teach about the Holy Trinity.
0: Yeah, because if it's three leaves, it's the shamrock. It's the Irish, love it. Oxalis is its, its Latin name, but oxalis, oxalic acid. If you actually take the leaves and crush them between your fingers and then you get this really refreshing smell. It's called sour grass. And if you chew it, It's got this kind of acidic, fruity taste, which uh, your travellers used to use it when they were needing refreshment as they were walking. So, And also, again, like many of these wildflowers, it's many medicinal purposes. The Native American Indians used to use it for sore throats, the Iroquois for cramps, but the sailors used to use it because it was high in vitamin C, so they'd use it to prevent scurvy.
1: Oh, that's that's really interesting. I'm just going to say to our listeners, you can tell who's the botanist between Uh, the two of us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not actually a botanist, a biologist, but I just uh, do love biologists. But, but yeah, but very very good. And I think I think Liz, you mentioned your dad, and I think that that your dad, as as did my dad, they they knew their wildflowers, and every time we went for a walk, they would always be telling us the names of the flowers. So it just with me, it just kind of soaked in, and that's where it stayed. But with you, you've taken it that bit further with your biology, and you no, know, it's the folklore. Yes. I love the, the folklore
0: of them. So that's, I mean, my, anybody that's been on tour with me know they have a good education by the time that they go home. But another one that, that's got some very interesting background to it. and again, if you think about the Glen, and you were saying about the smells, Helen, the floor of the Glen is absolutely covered in wild garlic. Oh, yes. And another yes. name for that is cowlick, because the cows like it, and it's said if they eat it, then your, your milk and your butter stinks of garlic. But the name, the Latin name for it is ursinum, an of course, refers to brown bears. And it said that when they wake up after hibernation, and luckily we don't have any of them in the glen, so I couldn't tell you whether this was true or not. But as soon as they wake up, they love to eat the bulbs. So I wouldn't like to be in contact with the bear. It's breath, apart from anything
1: else, after it's been eating all these bulbs. Well, it was funny because with one of the last books in the Guide Collective Book Club was to eat a bear. And I'm just thinking that they did have a roast a bear and eat it over up in Iceland, I think it was the north of Scandinavia. I'm just wondering if it had garlic in it. But actually one of the things about about wild garlic many, many moons ago I went in an archaeological dig to one of the islands in Loch Lomond. And there were divers there who were looking for the underwater archaeology, and they decided that they were going to have a barbecue. So we got a whole lamb. We we did buy it legitimately. We didn't just go into a field and get it. We we bought a whole lamb, and they put it onto a spit that they'd brought up from the depths of Loch Lomond. But we pierced it all and put in lots and lots of wild garlic into it, and oh, the smell when it was roasting, Liz was just. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. I suppose the beer comes
0: ready marinated if it's been yes, eaten, of course, <laughs> if yes. you're eating a beer. <laughs> but all parts of the garlic plant are, are edible, so you've got the cloves as you'd expect with the bulb, and then you can put the flowers, which are the lovely white flowers, you can sprinkle them over salads. But the leaves in particular you can use for pesto. And our friend Graham Strachan at Glenburnie in Oban, he always makes beautiful pesto at this time of year from the, the um, garlic.
1: That grows in the wild garlic that grows in his garden. Oh, I didn't realise that. That's excellent. You know, I I know that oh, you're watching the chefy programmes on on television now. You're getting a lot more wild flowers being used in the decoration of salad. The edible bits of them, like wild garlic. Yeah, I might know about them, but I don't know enough to
0: distinguish them. So you've got to be really careful, like the wild garlic. It grows alongside lily of the valley, and lily of the valley is highly poisonous. So you've got to make sure you know your wildflowers well enough before you start making your pesto. It's a bit like <laughs> a bit like mushrooms, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good on them either. No, no, no. So then we go from the whites into the yellow, and you know, around about this time of year, the movement from white to yellow, and the
1: hillsides just are a blaze of colour. Yes, and and one of the one of the main bushes is the gorse. The gorse is that really very, very prickly bush that grows on the hillsides. But I think some of our golfers who've golfed in Scotland might recognise it as the place if your ball goes into the gorse, just leave it, play another one. It is so thick and prickly, there's no way of getting in or out of that. Yeah, but when I think of gorse, I always
0: think of walking up from arriving at Urquhart Castle after you've cruised up Loch Ness on the, the Jacobite Warrior and as you walk up towards the visitor centre the whole hillside is covered in gorse and you're coming close to it and gorse has this wonderful scent of coconut it's just beautiful if the sun's shining
1: yeah it's, it's 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 lovely and it looks it looks beautiful as well and it's it's it is everywhere it is quite invasive and of course it's, it's it dries out very quickly and, and becomes very flammable i always think of gorse on the hill the arthur seat in edinburgh where at this time of year, maybe just slightly later, the fire engines are always there because it just spontaneously combusts and loves this blaze on the on Arthur's seat. But they say it's good for it, Liz, to 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 blaze up and get rid of the old stuff and then start the new stuff again.
0: Yeah, and of course the other thing that they say about it is when gorse is out of bloom, kissing's out of season. And the reason for that is that it's one of the first to come into bloom and it's a good source of, of pollen and nectar for insects at the start of the year. But it flowers for most of the
1: year. Yeah, when I've been on walks around and about up by the, the old temple, etc. When you're walking up there at any time of the year, you will see the yellow flowers. Not so Not so many, but you will see them. Yeah, and the other thing is that
0: although it might be very very prickly, they used to use rock stones to grind it up into kind of mulch, and then they would feed it if there was nothing else to give to their cattle, and it was very very nutritious. So, um, they're said to give good milk if they eat gorse, not like the garlic.
1: Yeah. Well, it's actually quite interesting because you would think that somebody somewhere, some enterprising person would think, well, it grows so well round Scotland. Why are we importing so much cattle feed, soya beans, etc.? Why don't we just do more with the gorse? Yeah, and it, finally, one of
0: the, the recent discoveries about gorse is that if you take the seeds and grind them up, you can extract a substance called lectin. And lectin is the base of the basis of determining what blood group you are, because it binds to the surface of the red blood the red blood cells. So that's what they use, or that's they'll be an artificial substance now, I suppose, but that's where it started off from in identifying whether you're type A,
1: B, or O. Yes. Well, actually and another thing that I that I found out, thanks to you, Liz, about gorse is that if you it's very good against fleas if you sort of again make it up and sprinkle it. And a few years ago when I had a dog, the dog brought fleas into the house and I had to get the pest man out from the council who took great delight in, you know, dressing himself up in all his protective clothing out in my driveway and <laughs> with mask and everything and walking into my house. And all I could think of the neighbours kicking behind their <laughs> curtains and think, what's going on over there? it have been fumigated. it have been fumigated, but apparently it kills fleas, according yeah. to some old writers. And I was reading the other day that there's a real outbreak of fleas
0: among cats and dogs at the moment. Maybe it's the spring weather, the warmer weather coming in, but uh, yeah, get out there, collect your, your gorse seeds and sprinkle them with water and then chuck them all around your Chuck them all around I think the I'd house. rather get the man in. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and of course, everywhere, Helen, daffodils. Oh, and I think that... with daffodils, you're, I love them, hate them. I love them growing outside, yeah. but I, I don't like bringing them into the house. Smell, not a nice
1: smell. Yes, and also it's it's you've got to be awfully careful with many of these flowers about bringing them into the house because there's all sorts of old wives' tales associated with whether or not you bring them into the house. But daffodils are just bursting forth now. I, I noticed that I was very late in planting the bulbs. They were bought in plenty of time last year, but I was very late in planting them. So some of them had begun to kind of sprout in the bag. So, But anyway, I planted them. And they are now beginning to burst into flowers, so I'm very pleased with that. Now you've got to be
0: very careful, Helen, because that's one of the biggest dangers to all of our wildflowers, the daffodil in particular, and that is that our native daffodil is the one which has got the very pale colored petals and the very dark orange trumpet. So it's, it's a bit smaller and you can recognize it by its colors. The problem is that everybody is is bringing in all the foreign cultivars and uh, planting them in their garden. And of course, you've got hybridization where the wild uh, daffodil is crossing with the, the ornamental daffodil. And because of that, you get what's called hybrid vigor where the, the combination of the two is stronger than the native one and it outcompetes it. So I've got to look after our native cultivars.
1: Yes, because it was interesting, Liz, because I was just, at, didn't go through the glen yesterday, but just at the top of the glen. And even in the little patch of ground at the top of the glen, there was about four or five different varieties of daffodils just, you know, blossoming there. So, and none of them looked like the wild ones. So I think people may be just emptying their pots.
0: Yeah, and of course, the other name for um, the daffodil is the Narcissus. And uh, it's an interesting story how it got its name Narcissus. You've probably heard of Narcissus who loved, who so loved himself that he, he wouldn't look at anybody else. You know, there was nobody, and the gods got really angry with him. And one day they were so upset that they cursed him that one day he would fall in love and he wouldn't have his love returned. And he just poo pooed what they were saying. But one day he was sitting in the woodland beside a clear still pool and he looked into the pool and he saw his own reflection and he fell in love with it but of course it was unrequited and he was fated to eternally look at his own reflection through the membrane of water and it said that eventually he laid down beside the pool and died and he disappeared into the underworld and where he had last lain up sprouted the first daffodils. Oh dear.
1: i just I'm just thinking you're saying that, Liz. I think we've all met people a bit like narcissists. <laughs> I hope you're not referring to anybody. Oh no 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 nobody that any of us know but we, we can look at them in as we people watch in town, Liz. <laughs> well, I can very definitely assure you that I don't look into any membrane oh, at <laughs> all with my reflection. That's where it's here. <laughs> I think the, worst, the worst thing nowadays is the Zoom call when you uh, look exactly. at yourself on a Zoom call. Oh, don't go there. I could be here all day <laughs> on that one. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> But um, just
0: on that, you know, that nowadays the daffodil, possibly because of that, is associated with death and, you know, it's it's used in wreaths and planted on graves, etc. That brings in the Victorian language of love, because many of the, the, the flowers, both wild and cultivated, were used as sort of um, symbols that they could put into embroidery or they could hand bouquets and Little garlands to, to people, so I did a, a an article on that in the Guide Collective some months ago on how the Victorians used flowers as the language of flowers.
1: Yes, and I think one of the other nice little stories about the daffodil is the story sort of associated with St Francis, the legend associated with St Francis, who sort of, you know, he was a nature lover as we all know. He liked animals and these especially the rabbits and, and. Uh, He decided to give St Francis a gift and a nest full of brightly coloured eggs was what the animals of the forest gave for St Francis. And the rabbit asked for a daffodil for its brilliant yellow, crocuses for its blue and violet for its purple. And St Francis was so overjoyed at this gift that he decided that from now on, every year, a basket full of coloured eggs would return in memory of the first Easter. And that gives us the Easter egg hunt that we have coming up in what, about two, three weeks' time, Liz?
0: yeah absolutely. You just picture it the Easter bunny with the eggs. yeah, lovely time of year at Easter again, the symbol of spring. The other thing is when you think of daffodils, I don't know about you, Helen, but you think of all the charities like the Macmillan Cancer Trust and whatever, they all use the daffodil as the their symbol, and that's because it stands the other you know it's a symbol in this language of flowers. It's a symbol for love and hope, you
1: know so lovely connotations and of course daffodil teas. Yes, very popular, just again it's as fundraising for these for these charities. But I think one rent I wouldn't mind paying is the rent that the Silly Isles pay to Prince Charles. The rent is paid one sum of one annual daffodil is considered rent for the payment of the unattended lands on the Scilly Isles. So I think I could I could stretch, even in this time <laughs> of recession, I could stretch to one daffodil. Yeah, I wish, I wish. Of course, thinking of other
0: yellow flowers, another of my favourites, the prima rosa, the primrose, the first rose of the year, although it's not actually a member of the rose family, nothing to do with them. But it was said that it was Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli's favourite flower and that Queen Victoria regularly gave him a little posy, a nosegay of primroses. So April the 19th, it's coming up soon, but April the 19th is actually Primrose Day. And on that day, they lay, because it was the, the anniversary of the death of Benjamin Disraeli, and they lay a little posy of primroses on his, um, on his tomb at Westminster Abbey.
1: Yeah, and of course we think of them as yellow, but in fact the Scottish primrose, which is only found in the north coast of Scotland, especially on Orkney, is has bluish-purple flowers. Yep, I remember on my first trip to Orkney, I was determined
0: I was going to find it. And it's just about the size of a little 20 pence piece. It's tiny and I uh, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And then I saw a group, obviously, with a guide out on the headland up at Yesby the, the cliffs, Yesnaby. and uh, I thought, oh, it's a purple, it's a, it's a primrose, it's a primrose. So I was out like a shot and across and it was. Um, so I did see my
1: Orkney primrose. Oh, I can visualise you, Liz. <laughs>
0: And the dandelion, you know how the dandelion gets his name, Helen? No, tell me about that. It's the leaves, the Dont de Leon. They're of very, course, yes. like the, the teeth of a lion. And of course, you remember blowing the, the dandelion clock.
1: Oh, yes. And of course, now, nowadays you realise that perhaps it's not the best thing to do because that's just spreading the seeds of the dandelion to come up another year. But I did notice yesterday on my walk, the dandelions are out and that's usually my grass is usually... Very, very colourful when the dandelions are out. It's, you know, almost, almost all yellow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then as the, the year progresses, we go into the pinks and, of course, the cherry blossom. Wonderful time of year. But in oh, Scotland, yes. the, wild, the wild cherry, and again, it's about these cultivars and mixing of ornamental and native, but the native wild cherry is called gean, G-E-A-N, and that's said to be very fortuitous if
1: you come across a gean tree. Yes, isn't there a, it used to be a hotel, I'm not sure if it still is, called Geen House in Alawa, just along the road from us. Well, it would at one time have had its cherry trees. Its yeah. cherry trees. And my, my great-niece in Japan is called Sakura because that is the Japanese for cherry blossom because she was born in the cherry blossom time, which, of course, Japan is very, very famous for. I would love to go there. But it's Latin name, Prunus
0: avium, it refers to avium, refers to the birds. And the birds, of course, eat the fruit of the cherry, especially the blackbird and the, the song thrush. And it's said that the song, uh, that the cuckoo has to eat cherry fruit three times
1: before it can stop singing in Oh, time. my goodness, my goodness. Well, it would stop when it's eating it. But you know, it was interesting. <laughs> It was interesting when I was in in Glasgow during during lockdown. You know these you know, two years ago when there was nobody about, and we were walking down through a very busy street, but it wasn't busy at that time because of lockdown. And the birds were nesting in the cherry trees that were lining that because they had realised there's nobody here, we're safe, so they were nesting there, and the noise of the bird sound was just wonderful. It's a beautiful time of year with bird song, the birds returning. Call oh, the they were noisy seasons. yesterday. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, a, another one that, that's pink, another flower is the, the flowering current which is an ornamental one, it's all in the gardens, but it's one where, you know, we're talking about smells, smells of the countryside, yeah. but the flowering currant, if you smell it, if you crush the leaves of it, it's got a very distinctive smell,
1: which was always referred in, to, in my family as cat's pee. <laughs> exactly, yes, yes. My, my, my mother wouldn't have it in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> it looks beautiful, but it does smell. Yes, yes. If you go walking around or out on my bike, Oh my goodness! The smells of the countryside are everywhere at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. They're they're just you. Know, I was I was in the house the other you know, just the other night, and I thought, oh my goodness, there's there's something died behind a <laughs> behind a house behind a chair or under a <laughs> cupboard, but You're actually. Done. You're the a good picture of your house with the fleece and something dying behind it. That's right. But actually, when I went into the porch, which had the windows were open, the smell was coming in from outside. The farmer had been spraying his field. And I think they tend to spray at night so the smells are not putting us off during the day. But, oh, my goodness, it's come straight into the house.
0: Oh yeah, it is. As I, as I was out on my bike, oh, it's strong at the moment. As my father would say, it's enough to make you spit. <laughs> you yes. get that taste in your mouth, the smell smells right. so strong. Yes. And of course, talking about the farmers, busy time of year for them, because it's you know, just beginning at the moment, but it's going to be the next few weeks, the lambing season.
1: Yes, I, I always smile. One of my farming friends, j- just in the farm above Salon here, you know, and I sort of say, you know, have you any lambs yet john he says helen we don't lamb until towards middle to the end of april because of the weather (laughs) so when i see all the wee lambs jumping around elsewhere in scotland i think oh they don't know about the weather (laughs) yeah of
0: course up here in the Aviemore area we have layout sheep farm and our good friend Glynis. Um, if anybody wants to hear more about Glynis and her epic journey from Denver to become a shepherdess on the hills of the and um, we did do a bonus episode with her right back at the oh, beginning yes, of, of lockdown yes. now. But I love to go out with her. And of course, there's a big difference up here in the highlands with the hill sheep, where it's extensive rearing. So the sheep are out on the hills. They just come in for the lambing. And it's such a dangerous time of year mm-hmm. for the, the mama sheep as they're having their babies
1: Yes, yeah, so because as you know, we were talking earlier about glorious weather at the moment, but next, ye- next week we're promised frost and snow. So that's what we mean about the danger that any little lamb that's born in this lovely glorious weather might have to thaw the cold next week.
0: Yeah, and of course it's not just the cold. Nature's very cruel. I mean, up here we've got the great big crows and ravens. And, uh, you know, they just wait. They are such intelligent animals. I mean, the raven is one of the most intelligent um, of all the, the animal kingdom. And they sit and wait until the baby lambs are being born. And then when they're struggling, they're in there. And the, as they bleat, they peck out their tongues and the soft spot on the top of their head. It's just dreadful. And, of course, nowadays, farmers are not able to shoot crows, um, even though they're they're pests. And they're protected under the Wildlife and Countryside Act.
1: Yes, and but we still see, I think, for some somehow or other, and we will not go into how. But sometimes we see the various the crows or the moles and things that the farmers have got rid of the pests strung on the fences. Um, I used to think it was a warning to other crows or moles: this is what you get if you come near. But I think it's it's not so much that; it's just so they can be counted. Yeah, I mean, they used to use, the
0: the farmers would employ a mole catcher and he was paid by the mole. So they'd put them up. So I've only once seen it, but it's a horrific sight when you see them strung up on the barbed
1: wire fences. Yeah, we used to go down to my my great aunts down at West Linton, south of Edinburgh, Romano Bank. And that's where I I remember seeing the, the moles strung on the fence and there were a lot of them. But moving to the the
0: brighter side of springtime, we've got all the migratory birds coming back up here. The big one that I look out for, the osprey or the fish eagle, Because up here in the Cairngorm area, we've got several of them. They were extinct at one time. They were reintroduced. And now we've got uh, breeding pairs scattered all over the highlands. But, of course, the reason that they were extinct in the first place was because of this obsession with collecting eggs. And still to this day, even although there's webcams and videos and whatever, you know, cameras on all of the nests, they still come and steal the eggs. I just can't
1: believe it, it beggars belief. I know, and and you. Know, all you can do with the egg is just kind of look at it. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything. So yes, and and of course, what they've got at not too far from you at at um, Boat of Garden, at Loch Garten, they've got the the hide and the Osprey Centre there that you can go. And you know, and I think that that is a way of keeping people into one place and let the other birds, the other pairs, nest in privacy and in freedom elsewhere. Yeah, and they, they mate for
0: life, or. Usually, I mean, there's some that are unfaithful, but just imagine the excitement, you know, when you're at, like, the RSPB site at, at Boat of Garten, and you have, first of all, the I think it's, I'm not sure if it's the male or the female that returns first, but you just wait to see, well, their, their partner return. And, and uh, usually they do, and um, you hope that they'll have a nest and chicks and that they'll be able to, to raise them to the,
1: the stage that they can survive. Yes, and, and you know, I'm amazed because... As you know, and as some other people know, I am a tourist guide with absolutely no sense of direction. And how these birds make it back over hundreds of miles, thousands of miles to find the exact tree in a forest that they build their nest on each year is just amazing. There's no road map. There's no road signs. They could just make it back. Fantastic. And the nest just keeps on getting bigger and bigger until often it collapses.
0: I love it here because we live on the side of a loch and uh, we have breeding bears in the area as well and at night just the first thing in the morning and late at night you hear them they've got this really high pitch like a whistle and uh, you can watch them hovering over and then they dive into the water at great speed and um, they don't get watered up their nose because they can close their nostrils so it's not like me diving into a pond they always to got close to close off their
1: nostrils i've got to hold my nose when I'm <laughs> exactly. diving. It couldn't catch the fish if they were holding their nose. No. <laughs> no, and but to see it, I've only ever seen it on film. But that quick dive and then just to come straight out, you know, with just with the fish in their claws, so they're they're not actually hardly touching the water except g- grabbing that fish with their claws. It's amazing. It's actually the symbol of the Cairngorm National Park. You yes. You've got an osprey with a with a,
0: a fish in its its claws.
1: Yes. And the other, the other. Yesterday, I was out in the garden. Oh, another sign of spring. I hung my washing out yesterday. <laughs> it was so, it was so good. I hung my washing out on the line on the on the at the greenie. And just as I was there, a huge skein of geese went over. You, know, you I heard them first, and then I looked up, and there were hundreds of them. And that reminded me that they come in here to Lochleven just up the up the road. They come into Lochleven at the beginning in autumn. And then this is the time they're beginning to gather and gather their troops to go back to the north, go back to Iceland, go back to Greenland. Yeah, it was such long journeys. I mean, if you think about it, we're talking about the Osprey. It's usually
0: West Africa, places like Senegal. But, you know, the other ones that come back at this time of year, Swifts and Swallows and Martins, San Martins, House Martins. They're coming from Africa as well. You know, know, and they're tiny. Journey? How do they do it? Uh-huh. I know, just feed on the wing feeding on insects
1: and swifts sadly are not always the most welcome because they tend to nest just under the eaves of the house don't they a nice little sheltered spot and when they're when they've built their nest there that's not so bad but when, when they have their young the mess that then gathers on the the windowsill or the doorstep just underneath the nest is just awful and some and again going back to the smells the smells no, I can't tell the difference between a
0: swift and a swallow. The only thing I know is that swallows are able to perch on telephone wires
1: or on the fence, uh, whereas swifts don't. But uh, I know it's something to do with their tails. And the the, the swallows have got quite a long tail con- compared to the swift. And swifts and house martins—it's really difficult to tell unless you're unless you're a real is it a twitcher. <laughs>
0: Yes, a real bird watcher. You a twitcher like uh, Roddy, one of the first drivers that we both know well. On it, you always used to twitch when I was a a young, inexperienced guide, and I'd get something wrong. I'd see him twitch, you know. <laughs> I knew this oh, as yes. the years went oh, by that oh, I was
1: getting better because he was yes. less of a nervous disposition. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I've been there too. I've been there. these these coach drivers are amazing, aren't they? Because they've heard so many guides say so many stories that they they have tremendous knowledge about the routes. I when they hear a guide saying something that is clearly not right <laughs> they do do this twitch or the, the head spins round as if it's on some kind of ball berry Woof, yeah, round think a film with somebody <laughs> like that in it i mean different spring means different things to
0: different people um i asked my husband i was asking him you know what did he, what what did he think were were harbingers of, of spring and of course he's a great horse racing man so for him it was that in springtime the racing in scotland changes from national hunt which is his passion which is um, over jumps to flat racing so um, everybody has something different and he's looking forward to the grand national which is it's not Scottish it's down in England at Aintree in Liverpool but uh, it's at the beginning of April so different things to different people and of course we're tour guides Helen and so um, springtime and Easter in particular is the opening up of the tourist season and that's what we're going to be looking at
1: that's right, because many of the visitors' attractions, which have been you know, closed, not just over the winter, but some of them closed since the beginning of lockdown, are now all telling us that they're going to be opening up in at Easter time. So spring and all oh, really looking forward to that, Liz.
0: Yep. So that's going to be our next couple of episodes. We're going to be looking at our favourite, first of all, our, our National Trust properties. And then we're going to be looking at our Historic Scotland, or it's not called Historic Scotland anymore, is it,
1: Helm? Historic environment Scotland. There you go. Things have changed. Oh, so yes.
0: looking forward to getting back out there. So that's been a wonderful walk down spring is
1: sprung. The grass is riz. Must get out and cut it. Oh, not 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 this week, Liz, remember. <laughs> I'm going to be frosty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Helen. Thank you, Liz. That has been great. Have we got a word of the week, Liz, do you think? Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm
0: forgetting. Yes, my word of the week. Um, I was referring to the crows and the ravens and what a pest they are with the, the lambing season. But in Scotland, we don't call them crows or ravens. The blackbirds are called corbies.
1: That's right. There's some lovely poems of two corbies isn't there? Yeah. And my word, Liz, we talked about gorse and how it has this tendency for almost spontaneous combustion. And in in Scotland, the gorse is quite often known as the, the furs bush and a, a, an expression, if somebody loses their temper, you might just say to them, oh, you're flaring up like a furze bush. You're just flaring up like a furze bush, setting yourself on fire. And I always used to think that
0: Roddy, that very same driver, that was just absolutely perfect for him because he would flare up like a
1: first booster, Especially if you went on to his coach with anything (laughs) on your feet or dropped a crumb. Or anybody dared to take ice cream. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, Roddy. Fond fond memories. Absolutely. They're coming back soon. Thanks, Ellen. OK, thank you, Liz. Bye for now. Bye. And there we have it, the end
0: of another episode of Scottish Blethers. If you'd like to join us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Scottish Blethers. And if you'd like to leave a review, please do so on your podcast platform of choice. It's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the loo
1: from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye!